There we go. All right. Well, we're glad you're here with us this morning. We've been in the book of Daniel. We're continuing on. Last week, we did a sermon called Prayer Warfare, and that was part one. And today is Prayer Warfare, part two. And I wanted to begin the message today by reading you an excerpt from a book that I read when I was in high school, written by an author named Frank Peretti. The name of the book is This Present Darkness, and he created a fictional book that tried to give an idea about what angelic warfare is like. Here is an excerpt from that book. It says, The creature screamed and covered its eyes, then felt itself being grabbed by a huge, powerful vice of a hand. In an instant, it was hurling through space like a rag doll, outside again, forcefully ousted. The wings hummed in a blur as it banked sharply in a flying turn and headed for the door again. Red vapors chugging in dashes and streaks from its nostrils, its talons bared and poised for attack. A ghostly siren of a scream rising in its throat, like an arrow through a target, like a bullet through a board, it streaked through the door and instantly felt its insides tearing loose. There was an explosion of suffocating vapor, one final scream, and the flailing of withering arms and legs. Then there was nothing at all except the ebbing stench of sulfur and the two strangers suddenly inside the church. The big blonde man replaced a shining sword as the white light that surrounded him faded away. A spirit of harassment, he asked, or doubt or fear, who knows? And that was one of the smaller ones. Just a paragraph out of that book. It takes place in a small town, and one of the things that I think Peretti did really well in the book was to give you an idea, number one, of the struggle between these unseen by our eyes beings, but the effect that they had on the people of the town and how God's people in their prayers strengthened the battle. And that gives you an idea because today, now that's a fictional account. But today we're going to look at a real account. A real account is one of the most fascinating passages in, in, in my uh, understanding of angelic warfare in Scripture. Because it's going to talk exactly in similar, less description, of angelic beings fighting in the sky. And I've attached it to prayer warfare part two because it, the context that surrounds the story is prayer. So as we head into chapter 10, and again, I've titled this prayer warfare two, we're going to read about a prayer of Daniel and, and give you the context for what's going on. And let me just read to you the first couple verses in chapter 10. It says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. This is another vision that's being given to Daniel. That's been the pattern uh, in the book of Daniel. He's in dreams or in visions. He's seeing the future. God's giving him a peek at the future. Now, in chapter 9, do you recall last week that Daniel was reading 
scripture. He was reading the writings of Jeremiah and something popped out at him. It was, it was the writing of Jeremiah that said, they're going to be in exile, but only for 70 years. And it motivated him to pray. And that was part of the lesson last week is that God's word can move us into prayer as we pray for the context of our life. And that happened to Daniel. Now this week, he's motivated by something else. And one of the clues here is in verse 1 where it says, in the third year of of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, here's what's happening. If you go to the book of Ezra, which is earlier in the Old Testament, and you read in chapter 1, you'll find that it's talking about the same guy, Cyrus, king of Persia. But in chapter 1 of Ezra, it says that this king makes a proclamation. And the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are the account of how God moved his people out of exile back to their homeland. So remember last week, chapter 9, he's reading Jeremiah. There's, there's a, there's, there's an, it's not going to be indefinite. We're not going to be in exile forever. There's, it's 70 years. I'm not sure when that actually started, but I know we're getting close to the end. Then you have Ezra and Nehemiah. They're recording the account where the king says, I make a proclamation that Jews are allowed to leave here, Babylon, Persia and go back to their homeland. Now in chapter 2, it begins to give an account in Ezra of all the Jews that were returning. And then later, chapter 4, it talks about the struggle, that they were met with opposition. And so Daniel is motivated by the knowledge now that people are going back to their homeland and there's a struggle going on. There's opposition to the attempt to rebuild, the attempt to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the temple. There, there's fierce opposition, threats, and not only that, but if you start to add the numbers up in Ezra, only 50,000 people had returned. And that, that troubled Daniel. We are a people. We were taken out of our homeland and put in exile. Now God's answering our prayers. We can go back to our homeland. And what he's seeing in, in God's people is many of them wanted to stay in Babylon. They were apathetic to God's calling and God's drawing them back to their homeland. They'd become comfortable in the life that they had made. I mean, going back is a long journey, a long traveling, walking, riding a donkey, whatever journey. Then when we get there, it's all in ruins. It's gonna be a lot of hard work to rebuild the rubble. And by the way, there's opposition there. There's threats of violence. I'll stay here. We've built a life here. And that troubles Daniel. And now he's being motivated in another way. Last week, he's motivated by God's word to pray. This week, he's motivated by something he's seeing in God's people. They're not responding to God. They're not responding to his word. They're apathetic. They are comfortable with the life that God has given them in Babylon. Now, that's where we pick up in this chapter. And that's why my first point is Daniel's response is to the apathy of, his, of the people. And so <clears throat> what happened to Daniel? Verse 2 says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So reports coming in. He's bothered by this. What happens to Daniel? He uh, goes into this state of mourning. He's, it's like crying internally, outwardly, about the apathy of the people. And he's bothered by that. Not only just the morning, right? But, but he's not eating. 
He's not taken a bath. I didn't anoint myself for three weeks. And so in this section, I'm going to read it. You're going to see how he felt, what he saw, and what he heard. At the end of the three weeks, God's going to send an emissary, an angel. And this is what happens. Verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Upaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Now he's seeing this angel that God has sent. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Now, we're going to talk about the content of the vision, but I want you to see for three weeks, he's been bothered by this. Finally, he's going to get an answer. It comes in the form of an angel. This has already happened, right? It's already happened because in chapter 9, an angel came and answered his prayers then. And you're seeing that the description of the angel is awesome. But the men that are with him, they don't see the vision. They don't see it. They know they're, they're, there's something there. It's kind of like Paul on the road to Damascus when Christ appeared to him. He's the only guy that really saw it. And same thing here. And there's a trembling. And the end result is he falls on his face. His description is asleep on his face. Like, in, in, like, I have to get the word right. Prostrate. Okay, because I've tried to do that before and said the wrong word. <clears throat> That's how he is on the ground, right? And so as I look at this, there's three full weeks of seeking after God during this time. You're seeing the feeling of what he feels during this time. It's physical, it's mental, and it's spiritual engagement that is exhausting. But now he's seeing something. During this time, at the end, he's seeing this vision, this vision that's personal. It's described as a great vision, but the other guys aren't seeing it. And it changes his appearance. I mean, have you ever gone through something so bad that you run into a friend they're like, you look terrible. What is going on? This is Daniel. It's three weeks of this, and he looks terrible, but he's also hearing something because it says he heard the sound of his words. And this is the result. He ends up laying on the ground, and all of this is because uh, he's moved by the apathy of God's people. Now, that's the response of Daniel. What is the response of the angel? This angel that has been sent to him, that's point number two, is the angel's going to respond to Daniel. Now let me read through this. It says, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. 
And he said, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The angel is responding because of Daniel's words. His prayers that went upward into heaven and God dispatched an angel to go give him a response. Now, I didn't read this last week. We, we talked about this, the great prayer in chapter 9. And at the end of that prayer, he said, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and he goes on to say, The man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision, at first came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. And there's this contrast where the first prayer that we read about, the angel's dispatched and he swiftly flies. He's there. I got an answer. Prayer this week, three weeks, it's going on. I can't get an answer. Now, I, I bet a lot of us have felt like that. We're praying about something. And it's like, when is God going to answer this prayer? Does he even hear my words? Because it doesn't seem like there's an answer. And yet, right here, the angel has come to him the angel is going to minister to him, and he says to him from the very first moment, let me reassure you, when your words were spoken, they were heard, and God dispatched me. And so the way I broke this down is I want you to notice there's three times, three times that the angel actually physically touches Daniel, and it's all, the context is to minister to Daniel to lift him up. So touch number one we just read about, and he's giving them encouragement. The first time you spoke, your words were heard. Stand up, Daniel. He even says to him, uh, uh, oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. Well, that would be a great thing to hear coming out of heaven. You are a man that is greatly loved in heaven. Did you know that? And here's, now here's the thing. Now he's going to give him an explanation. Because the big question is, why over here was it swift? A quick answer. Over here, it's three weeks. I don't have an answer. Why? And I listen to his answer. And he says to him, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So he's reminding him, I'm here to give you an answer, and I'm going to talk about the vision that is for your people in later days. But the reason it took so long, and here's the explanation is, and this is how it goes down. Your prayers went up to heaven. They were heard. Man greatly loved, angel dispatched, but somewhere between the throne room of God where I was dispatched and reaching you on earth to give you that answer, I was resisted. The king of Persia is what he says. Now, he's not talking about a man. There's no physical man that came up out of earth, up into the sky or outer space and did battle with an angel. And what Daniel is doing and what we're seeing in this writing is that he's talking about, he uses the term king of Persia, but then he's going to back up off of that. This is a man right here, king of Persia, but there's an entity behind the king of Persia and it's an angelic person and it's an enemy. And that person behind the man king, this angel, 
did battle and withstood me in space. And then he says, Michael, one of the chief princes. And so twice now we see high leaders in the angelic realm are referred to as princes. Michael came to my aid. He came to help me. I was left there with kings of Persia. There's more than one. There was, there was a battle going on. Okay. So let me, let's hold off there because I'm going to come back to that. But I want you to see that, that uh, first the first touch, there's encouragement and he's giving an explanation why the delay. The second touch, he's going to be physically strengthened. Verse 15, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward, toward, toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, Oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with the Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. So the first interaction, he's, he goes mute. He's like looking down. You know, there's this magnificent, awesome figure he described. All that description of this angel, and it makes him like this. And he touches his lips to, to encourage him to interact. And, he, his, and what comes out of Daniel is like, how can I interact? First of all, I am pained by the vision. It sapped all of my strength is what he's saying to him, right? And so now the angel is going to touch him a third time. He's going to touch him a third time. And again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, oh man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come too. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Now, there's a lot in that last section, but the first thing I want you to catch is the ministry of the angel to him. In this last section, he encourages him, greatly loved, exhortation, you gotta be strong, and another explanation of what's going on. I'm gonna go back. First of all, I'm gonna tell you the vision. I'm going to explain it to you. But then I got to leave you and I got to go back out and I got to make battle again with the, with the prince of Persia. And then the, the prince of Greece is going to come. And there are, these two are so strong. The prince of Persia and the prince of Greece, not men. They're so strong that only Michael can come and do battle with him. Wow. Now, this is what I'm going to do. Because I've just given you this prayer. And what I've tried to show you is, first of all, the prayer comes about because of Daniel's heart for his people. Last week he's moved by God's word. This week he's moved by the apathy of people and praying for them. What is our future? But now we're seeing an angelic response to this mourning condition that he has. And the, the ministry of the angel, he's touching him every time bringing him along to encourage him, to make uh, explanations to him, to exhort him, right? So we're going to come back and say, how does that apply to us? 
But I got to take this opportunity to talk about the angelic theology here. And my third point is to give you a theology of angels. I can't give you a full one, but you, you can't miss some of this. And then tie it into what does it mean for us as Christians today? Point number three is a theology of angels. What does the Bible teach us in this passage about angels? And the first point I'm going to make is this, that the angelic world is real. The angelic world is real. There are beings that God created that are described as spirits. The word in the New Testament for spirit is wind. It's like, I know the presence is there, but I can't see it. Okay? Now, angels can be seen. They can manifest themselves and allow themselves to be seen. There's a great story in the Old Testament with Elisha, uh, the prophet, and there's an enemy that surrounded him and God's people, and they're afraid. And then God opens her eyes to see that there's an angelic army out there larger than the human army. And suddenly they're all relaxed because they can see something they couldn't see before. Great story in the Old Testament. But here's what I want it right here. Angels are real. Now, in the Bible, what we learn about them is they have an intellect, they have a will, they can have emotions, they'll praise and worship God, they're moved by that, and they have names. Now, we only have the names of two of them. Gabriel is, we've already seen, actually, the two names appear in Daniel, the book of Daniel, and other parts, but Gabriel is like God's messenger. Every time we see him, he's traveling to give a message from God to somebody. He's like a messenger. Michael in another part of the Bible, is referred to as the archangel, which is a title of, of like, a, like ruling. He is like the head angel, and obviously quite powerful because he can contend with the mightiest uh, of the demonic angels. But they're real. Now, pastor, you say, where'd they come from? Well, they're created. They are not eternal. The only being eternal is God the Father, who exists Three persons in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But you go back to Genesis, and you have the account of the origin of all this, where God uh, creates the world and the universe, and at least by day six, uh, they're made. In Genesis 2, 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all that was in them. So he makes the earth, all that's in the earth was made that goes in it. He makes the oceans, all that goes in the water is made by that point. He makes the sky and space and all that is in that realm is made by that point. You go to Job chapter 38 and it talks about the, the angels witnessing the creation of earth. Because in Job 38 it says that God... He's talking to, to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Basically, when I made the world, when I set down the cornerstone, and the sons of God sang and rejoiced as they watched. So we know that they were made early, and they watched some of that creation. And then by Genesis chapter 3, some of them had fallen. Because in Genesis chapter 3, we have Satan showing up in the form of the servant, serpent, tempting Eve. So when God made everything, at the end he says, it is good. There was nothing that he made that was not good. So there's no fallen angels at that point. But they fall. And we'll come to that in a second. But I want you to see that they are created. What is their number? Well, 
uncountable. If you were to look up at the sky and try to count the stars, that is the analogy that I would use. In fact, in the Bible, it uses this one phrase where it says myriad upon myriad. Myriad is like a large, uncountable number. A large, uncountable number of large, uncountable numbers is the number of angels. And Hebrews, as an example, 12, 22, says when you come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, and two innumerable angels. So it actually talks about their number being uncountable. Revelation 12, 4 talks about the dragon and his angels, Satan, makes war in heaven. And when he failed, it says he fell out, he was cast out, and it says his tail swept a third of those angels with him. And so in our angelic theology, what we know is they're created, there is a large uncountable number, but a third of them that were made followed Satan and were cast out of heaven. One third of all angels are now demonic. Now, I could also say that they're in a fixed state. They cannot propagate. They don't marry. They don't create baby angels. Christ talked about this in the Gospels in, in um um, Matthew 22, when he was being asked about uh, um, a specific case of a woman who had a lot of, a lot of uh, husbands, and they said, well, which husband will she have in heaven? And he said in his answer, she will be like the angels. They're not, they're not going to be marriage. They're not married. They don't propagate. So there's a fixed number of angels, but a third of them have fallen. Now, um, the other thing I just want to give you is that they're holy or they're unholy. The third that got swept out, this is how the Bible describes him, unclean spirits. So you have clean or holy angels, unclean spirits, fallen angels. That's the two categories. And in the summer when we, we were talking about Guam culture, and in Guam culture there's this view of, of the spirit world called tatamonas where De, uh, dead relatives or in the spirit world, they may exist out in the jungle and sometimes they're in a tree and to pass by the tree, you've got to ask permission of the tatamona to pass by the tree. And we talked about in the summer and the thing that I was driving at there is, is there are no spirits wandering around that are dead people. The Bible does not teach that. But there are spirits out there and there are only two kinds, clean or unclean. They're holy angels or unholy angels. And if they are an unholy angel, they, they are not good for you. I'm not asking permission. I'm not giving any honor to them. And this is what we get out of Scripture. So let's take that. A angelic world is real. And here's the next one. Angelic warfare is real. Obviously, we see that in Daniel. First prayer, immediate answer. Second prayer, three-week delay. Why? Because the prince of Persia withstood me. And so underneath this angelic warfare is real, my, my sub-point is entire kingdoms are under demonic influence because he's described as the prince of Persia. So this one angelic being that is strong enough to, to counter Michael is over all of Persia is what is being taught right there. Which means this, 
Sometimes we're wondering where our real struggle is, right? And we're going to learn today that our real struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual forces. These fallen angels that have charge over areas of the earth are trying to work against God and work against his people. It's kind of like when, a, when I was growing up, a couple movies that I really liked watching were mafia movies, The Godfather, The Godfather 2. You know, I know not everything in them is, is uh, you might get offended by a couple things in them, but in these movies, there's this, this effort to try to understand where the, the enemy is going to come from because the Godfather dies and the son's going to take over and there's these conversations that lead up to where is the threat going to come from? Who's going to try to knock off the son to take over the mafia empire, right? And there's this, where is the threat going to come from? In fact, I think it's in the second movie where he walks up to his brother Kisses his brother on the cheek and says, I knew it was you all along. You were the one. The threat. You know, in Christianity, the threat is spiritual. And we sometimes try to lay the threat at the foot of political parties and leaders. But in Daniel right here, we're seeing that behind the leader, there's a spiritual entity that's the puppet master that's pulling the strings. We see it here in Daniel. Again, I could give you an example in Isaiah. In Isaiah 14, 4, they're talking about, Isaiah's talking about the king of Babylon and how Babylon is going to fall. And, or Babylon, he's talking about Babylon. And then suddenly he comes back off of the king of Babylon. He begins to describe, which is one of the two passages in the Bible that give us a peek into how Satan fell. Lucifer, the king of Babylon, and he's describing a person who's in heaven and sin is filling the heart, saying, I want to conquer God the Father. I want to be over God the Father and how you're cast out for that. Well, that's not the king of Babylon, a man. That is Lucifer. That behind the king of Babylon then was Satan himself pulling the strings. Now, entire kingdoms are under demonic influence the entire demonic realm is under Satan. Going back to that Revelation 12 where it talks about the dragon, it says this, Satan and his angels, right there in that verse he calls them angels, and Michael and his angels wage war. That's the description. Two leaders, two armies, and a fight. Now, first of all, you should see this. That means the opposite of Satan is not God. The opposite of Satan is Michael. Satan is not the opposite of God. God is eternal, all-powerful, omniscient. Satan is none of those things. In fact, sometimes I do a game where I say, I'll say, I'll say a word, you tell me the opposite. I say, black, white, hot, cold, tall, short, Satan, God. <clears throat> you got it wrong. That is not the opposite and right there in Revelation 12, that's what you see. Satan, leader, his army. Michael, leader, his army. And what I want to give to you in that is, is that Satan is organized like any army. And all of that realm 
is underneath him. So Paul writes in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against, look at these words, cosmic powers over this present darkness. There's Frank Peretti's book. The name of his book is This Present Darkness. He took it right out of the Bible, talking about what our real struggle is against. This present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Paul is telling you, your real struggle is not against any man, not flesh and blood, not not a leader, not not a boss, not a relative, no political party in their platform. It is angelic at its true source. And in the same way, that the military, and we, have, we usually have a lot of military in our church, and they understand ranks. You've got the, the, the president who's at the top, and then underneath him, you know, joint chiefs of staff, and then you've got, got generals, and then colonels, and, then, and it just goes all the way down to privates, right? And sergeants and corporals at the lower end, right? That's how Satan has organized his armies. And just like the military says, this leader is commander over all of the Pacific. This leader is commander over all of Europe. This demonic angel is over all of Persia. This demonic angel is over all of Babylon. That's how Satan is organized. And do you know what? Just like they have a military organization, they also have a doctrine for how they wage war. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4.1, he says, Now the Spirit says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now I don't know about you, but I don't know any university you can go to and the professor is a, is a, is a fallen angel demon. You know, what class do you got? Who's your teacher? Oh, he's evil. no. No. Then where do teachings of demons come from? Where do doctrines of demons come from? And they come from back here behind the leader that they influence in a way that propagates untruth. And that's why Paul says you have to to know God's word because there's an information warfare that's going on. And the the third point, sub-point to angelic warfare is real is that influence right? There are demonic entities that influence entire kingdoms, influence plus organized forces exist to oppose the work of God. In fact, Satan, there's a Hebrew word, it means adversary, that's the word Satan. The Hebrew word for adversary, that's what his name means. He opposes God. He opposes God's work, and he opposes God's people. And you can see evidence of that in history. Why is it that the Jews are so persecuted and so many attempts to wipe them out? Because that was his chosen people. Why a persecution of the church in Acts? Satan's trying to stop what God is growing there. Now, in Daniel Daniel chapter 10, this is what we're seeing. God wanted to bring the truth to Daniel. Your prayers come up. I dispatch an angel. He's going to bring you an answer. That's information. What did he say he's going to give him? I'm going to show you the future of your people. But I was opposed. If someone tried to stop me to bring it, it's going to bring you hope. I want to, Satan wants to stop hope. Information matters. 
right now there's a war in Ukraine. You've got Russia invaded Ukraine, and there's an information war going on. We in the West have probably better information. I, I can't claim to know the truth to everything, but what I see in the news is they go over to Russia and they ask them about what's going on and their responses are not accurate. It's, a, it's an exercise. It's not as big as what it really is, right? From the beginning, there was an information war, a campaign to try to veil or disguise what was really going on. And without truth, people can be deceived. Some of the, I saw interviews where some of the, the citizens in Russia were saying, their responses were supportive of what was going on. And then it was like, do you know that they were wiping out entire, entire towns and just killing people? You support that? That's not going on. Information matters. Information warfare. So we see that Paul warns us against this. If you go to Galatians chapter 1, Paul says to the church in Galatia, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly falling, falling away from the gospel. I came, I gave you truth. I left, I'm doing another church over here and I hear that you're falling away. You don't believe the truth that I gave you. Why? And then he says this, look, if even an angel appears to you and tells you a gospel that's different than what I told you, and then he uses these words, let them be anathema which is the same word as saying damned. Let them be damned. Anyone who comes and tries to give you an angel from heaven, I've got a real truth, a gospel, a new truth, and it's different than what Scripture teaches. Paul says, let, let that information be damned because it, if you buy into it, then you could be damned at the end of eternity because it's going to steer you away from genuine salvation. One of the examples I, I can give of this is, is in the Mormon faith. The founder, Joseph Smith, tells the story of, of an, an angel coming and giving information, new information. And then you have this book that's written, but you take things that are said in this book and they contradict what God gave in his word. They cannot both be true. That's, that's the kind of thing Paul warned you about. Information matters. There's an information warfare that goes on to deceive God's people. As Paul, as Paul wrote to Timothy, in latter times, people will be deceived and they will fall away following after doctrines of demons. Remember, there's only two, two kinds of angels, clean and unclean, holy and unholy. So the last point is this, prayer warfare is real. We see it in Daniel chapter 10. <clears throat> um, where the example is that he was delayed um, three weeks by this demonic, demonic entity. But I, I read to you the verse that said, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now look what he says. Therefore, because our, 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 our fight is, is spiritual, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. In other words, he's saying you better do all it takes to stand firm in this information warfare. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Just like my belt holds things together in the center, 
Truth does that to you. You don't have truth, things are going to fall apart. You're going to walk around with your pants falling down, tripping. <laughs> he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness right here. It, it guards the heart, the breastplate. Okay, a purity of heart, a morality that, that makes us clean or unclean. Guard your heart. The shoes uh, uh, for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Shoes being willing to go outward in mobility with the gospel. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Faith. There's doubt. Arrows coming in. Doubt. Faith guards us against that. Then he says, Take the helmet of salvation, security you should know, are you saved or not? The sword of the Spirit, God's Word is the, the one thing we get that is, can go outward in battle. Everything else is very defensive. This is on the attack with God's Word. And then he says this, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, which is another word for prayer, for all saints. He finishes by saying the way prayer, uh, prayer warfare is real. Guard yourself, but be active in prayer. Be active in prayer, just like Daniel was. And I know today, just like Daniel the apathy of God's people is really worrying me. Ah, three weeks of mourning, I'm praying for God's people. They need to respond to the movement of God. And we look at the world today, and there's a lot of things that trouble us. And God's word would call us, get on our knees and pray about what we see. Is God's church responding, or are we like those Jews in Babylon where we said, you know, it's just too long of a journey. I kind of like the life that I've built. There's a lot of comfort in my life to go outward with the gospel, to be active in prayer. It's a lot of work. We can see apathy even today. To call God's people into a life of prayer, that was the thing about Daniel, wasn't it? When you look at, at the book of Daniel, he was a man of prayer. Chapter 6 is the chapter where they, where they get him. They make a law. You're not allowed to pray. You can only pray to the king. Daniel says, I can't do that. And they knew, they knew when, at what times of day he prayed because it was patterned in his life. Three times a day he prayed and he went to the same place and he wasn't afraid. There was an opening in his house where you could see him praying in there. And they just laid wait. There he is. We created the law. Up, oh, he's praying. Let's go to the king. Now he's going in the lion's den because he broke the law. My point is they got him because he was so patterned. He had a pattern of prayer in his life and he was fervent. He prayed with a passion. He cared about God's people. He cared about the reputation of his God, and he prayed for those things. That's what we said last week. We are so consumed with prayers about ourselves all the time. We're very self-centered in our prayers. Help me have a good day. Watch over me. Like five-year-olds. Pray with depth. Pray with specificity. Pray fervently. Paul says, the fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And I think one of the things you draw out of Daniel is a calling to pray. To pray like Daniel and to know truth. There is an information war. Know what God's word says. Because there is a demonic entity 
who has been given charge over Guam, over the Pacific, over Asia. They're organized just like the military, and they have doctrines. You better know what God's Word says because we have to engage in the culture in a way that is loving, that says, I, I love the city, I love the island, I'm going to serve it, I'm going to build relationships with people, but I know the truth. Don't perpetuate doctrines of demons. God created marriage. There's a doctrine that has originated not from God that says define it differently. God created man and woman. There's a doctrine that comes from demons that says, I'm going to change that. And sometimes we live in culture and we have this tepid acceptance of, well, people can feel that way. You know what? I have friends that would embrace those things, and I love them as friends, but I will never agree to the truth of God's acceptance of those things. And my desire is to call them into truth. So, the calling out of Daniel is for a prayer life for God's people. And I'm going to finish with this last point, which is, which is application. It looks like a lot, but here's what, here's what we're being called to, prayer. Number two, and this comes out of the, just looking at the angel, what the angel did. Everything the angel did. Three times he touched him and he gave all these things to him. An explanation. Sometimes we need to be able to give an explanation in a world that's confused by doctrines of demons. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one, one another. This is about information. It's about doctrine and truth and it is about correcting admonishing is to correct. We should be engaged with one another in a way that we are teaching one another and correcting one another and admonishing one another with the doctrine of God's Word. What else did that angel do? He exhorted Daniel. And we are also in the church to exhort one another. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another daily not to forsake the gathering of the saints. Now that exhortation is specific to, to church. Are you involved in church life? Some Christians are falling out. They're not involved in church life. That specific exhortation is be involved. Don't forsake the gathering of the saints. But the point is, there's a ministry of exhortation, brother to brother, sister to sister in the family. We are to encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. That the same way that the angel said, you are loved. You are. He encouraged him. Get up. We are to have that kind of ministry with one another. And then I put here a physical aspect because the angel three times touched him. One time on the lips as a way to encourage him, it's okay to speak. One time touching him as he's low to get up. That even within the family of God that matters. It's like my children, if one of them's hurting, I want to grab and give them a hug. I want to want to sometimes come alongside my son and give him a dad bro hug and you know encourage him that way. That touch matters. And in the New Testament, you know, over and again, Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I'm not telling you to start kissing everybody, you know, but in the Guam culture, that is a thing, right? It is a cultural thing. Like, that sometimes it's interesting to see people come from the States, and then they, oh, you know, they kiss, they kiss on the cheek, and then to try to navigate that, 
You know, I, well, the first time I came to Guam, I was like, why are these guys kissing my wife all the time? What's going on? You know, and then I got used to it, you know, and then we moved back to the States. First woman I saw, how you doing? They were like, what? It's culture. But what I'm saying is in God's church, there is this aspect, physical touch matters. And we, we saw that with the angel. We see the encouragement of Paul. And I just kind of lay out those things. What's the application of this? It's to learn about the correct theology about angels and about the warfare that exists. But then I would also say we can see our calling to pray, that it matters. It's because of the words of Daniel that all that unfolded. And then the explanation, the teaching and admonishing, information matters, exhorting and encouraging one another because we get beat down by the world and the physical support sometimes to pick them up brother and sister to Christ. I just think there's been so much in this book, and I just love this chapter for the reasons that I'm giving them to you, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to continue on and finish it. Lord, thank you for Daniel. Thank you for the challenges you gave him that were recorded that give us so much truth that we can see that there is a spiritual battle that our, our physical eyes don't see, in the same way that there was a demonic uh, entity that was over Persia, that was over Babylon, there's one over Guam. We would be naive to think it's any different. They get more organized as time goes on. They understand mankind greater, not less. And they, the, the, the demonic world just lays into our lives and cultures so many lies, so many lies about our worth, to focus on things that matter less. And we need to be able to be interconnected as a community of God's people, to plug into church, to be in smaller groups, to build relationships where we can exhort one another, where we can encourage one another, where we can admonish and, and talk about the Bible and what is correct information. And I pray that we'd build that greater and greater here at Bayview. And even support other churches to do the same here on this island. Lord, I commit this up to you. I pray that you, you, your will would be done in this. And I pray that our people would imbibe it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll worship as we finish our service.